Okay. Um, thank you, Jan, for um, inviting me on this August gathering. I'm not sure if there is anything I can contribute because you can see the subject area. Um, the area that I don't work, I, you know, area I mostly work is in Buddhist philosophy, and I never publish anything that actually, you know, um, explores the synergy between the two traditions. Um, but my attempt, um, or rather, presentation is going to be fairly focused. I thought of uh, talking, well, um, explore something connected to Madhimika's uh, philosophy of mind, particularly in relation to uh, mental causation. And of course, um, that one, the sort of argument or the um, discussion that I'm trying to uh, advance here is not, not something that is um, um, that has probably, I would say, a lot of textual support. If you ask me, okay, tell me where Nagarjuna does this, then my project here is basically applying Nagarjuna and Chandrakirti's um, general causal argument and apply it within the framework of uh, mental causation and see if it works. Um, so basically, um, this talk uh, is inspired by a paper that Mark has written called Causation, Human Causation and Emptiness. Uh, Mark's conclusion there is that um, the presenters uh, like Sotandruka Vasubandhu, particularly of course, who holds the view that dharmas are ultimately real, momentary entities with intrinsic natures, uh, cannot claim for any direct causal relation between the previous moments and the subsequent moments. Uh, the reason he cited is because such causal relation requires necessary connection between dharmas with uh, intrinsic properties, and they cannot be internal relation between two dharmas with such qualities. So if dharmas are the dharmas with intrinsic properties, then it looks like, given the very nature of the ontological status, then it looks like they cannot stand in it, uh, any particular relation. So, um, and he also um, points out that even if we have a necessary third connector, if we put something, a third element to connect between two uh, momentary dharmas, um, that would not even help us to foster a connection between two events. As such, relation again presupposes the causes precedes effect, and both are momentary. Again, same you know leads to the same problem. So, according to uh, Sidritz, um, the Abhidharma uh, presenters cannot claim that there are causal relations among dharmas when these are understood in what he called uh, trope uh, theoretic fashion. In the same chapter or same paper, um, Sitrit proposes Vasubandhu is a human about causation. So this is where my interest comes in. By that he means Vasubandhu understands causation to involve necessary connection. Uh, what is that? Sorry. By that he meant Vasubandhu understands causation to involve necessary connection as much as we ordinarily conceive it by way of 
mistakenly attributing our own beliefs onto what actually happens in the situation of cause and effect with intrinsic natures. So following Hume, he says, ultimately causation is just a matter of constant conjunction. It always happens that events of this type succeeded by events of the other type. Now, of course, um, we know that Hume uh, makes this um, point, advanced this argument, both in his uh, inquiry as well as in uh, treatise. So um, given that all of you know much more about Hume than myself, <laughs> I will not try to rehash um, his arguments. Um, but nonetheless, what he seems to be saying is uh, there, there, is, there is not in any single particular instance of a cause and effect anything that we can suggest the idea of power or a necessary connection. So Hume seems to be saying that cause and effect is just so happened, or at least in the causation, it is a matter of constant conjunction with no necessary connection. And we create a necessary connection because we mistakenly attribute such a, such a thing out there, even though there isn't such um, basis for, um, of impressions. We don't have impressions of necessary connection. So even if you have idea of causal continuity, that is a, just a false. So in my view, David Hume raises an important philosophical question. And that question can be used to articulate some of the problems in even in Buddhist theory of mind. Um, for example, if you specifically apply in Madhyamika context, um, questions such as um, does mental causation require necessary uh, connection between previous conscious event or subsequent conscious event? Now, this question, in my view, is very important because. Madhyamikas, by and large, and more, not only Madhyamikas, but Indian philosophy uh, in general, and also including Abhidhamakas, claim that mind is nothing but a series of you know, processes, so a series of events that occurs you know, uh, constantly. And that, that's why there is a such, such thing called mental continuum. And it is on the basis of that uh, mental continuum, cause and effect, particularly moral, like, uh, moral causation, is accounted for. Um, and Remember, using that, again, argument, they also explain other things, such as rebirth. So this is, I think, uh, crucial. But then uh, the problem is, if the question, namely the uh, human question, if, if it is the case that, case that Madhimikas are unable to uh, prove or show th uh, that there is a uh, real connection between two events, two mental events, two conscious events, uh, then I think the claim that there is such thing called uh, continuity of uh, consciousness that goes from not only one life to another, but even in this one life, then that, that uh, claim becomes very uh, shaky. So I believe that this question, which is often not addressed uh, explicitly in Buddhist literature, is nevertheless at the heart of Madhimika's philosophy of mind, mental causation. A mind may appear, of course, uh, Madhimika's philosophers argue, uh, in fact, um, might appear unchanged is in fact only a series of consciousness moments that dependently arises and dependently ceases in quick succession. Consciousness owes its very existence. So this is like uh, Madhimika's language. 
consciousness owes its very existence to causation because its existence is only a series of mental events that flashes in and out of existence by virtue of arising and disappearing of necessary conditions. So that's why I think, um, whereas if you are um, channelized, channel uh, Abhidhamagya account of mind, then you mind all the consciousness will have at least dharmas and it, with the intrinsic properties. Then uh, you can see Wazubandhu like uh, presentist would have a different argument. Um, they might say, of course, things, uh, mental states might arise as dependent upon um, uh, certain causes and conditions, but the cessation is a different. Um, whether it ceases uh, uncausally or uh, depending on certain other causes or not, or it is intrinsic to the mental, um, mental process that they uh, simply disappear or that they simply disintegrate. So, of course, um, Wazubandhu uh, use uh, the idea that um, disintegration is uncaused. I think and that led, as of course, uh, George um, explores this idea too, um, with some uh, misunderstanding that what Wasubandhu is saying there is that uh, disintegration is not just uh, uncaused per se, but he is saying that disintegration does not require external uh, causal factor, the things themselves, mental states in this case, they are subject to disintegration in and of themselves without you know, external, um, external influence. Um, so in, in that sense, there is, uh, so there is no such thing as enduring continuity of consciousness, mental continuity is merely a cause and effect involving successive consciousness event whereby the later consciousness events dependently arises from the <coughs> earlier conscious event as a result of which subsequent consciousness closely resemble the preceding consciousness. So, so this is kind of classic uh, hypothesis that Madhimikas put in. But again, in order to explain this one, if we fail to account for the question, uh, I call human question, then I think that uh, sort of hypothesis becomes uh, hard, to, hard, to, uh, hard to sustain. Um, so therefore, uh, sh um, should Madhimika fail to show the necessary causal connection between two immediately consecutive moments of consciousness, then it would seem Madhimika is left without any proof for the possibility of mental continuum. Since the hypothesis of mental continuum in turn depends on the hypothesis of necessary con connections between the series of consecutive conscious moments. So that uh, series of con uh, consecutive conscious moments, given that that is one that it is required for to sustain a mental continuum. And if we fail to basically explore the link between any two given a subsequent um, consciousness, then I think uh, it will have a uh, bigger impact. So the failure to supply the uh, proof or necessary causal relation between the two immediate conscious moments would no doubt undermine the very basis of a central hypothesis that mental causation involves successive or a series of consciousness events. For the central hypothesis to be true, Madhimikas must show the two uh, immediately consecutive conscious moments are directly causally connected. That one, directly causally connected, where the later necessary arises from the first as its necessary con uh, cause. Of course, this is, um, I'm not sure whether um, Hume seems to say that that is not possible. This is um, because after all, we won't have, uh, we, will, we won't have, uh, we don't have direct impressions that actually give us the conclusion that uh, Madhimikas are drawing. So, so can I just clarify, 
Sure. Yeah, Yes, I think, um, in fact, um, what I'm about to say is kind of related with the conception of uh, Nagarjuna and Chandrakirti's conception of time. Basically, uh, to my understanding, Chandrakirti and Nagarjuna, both things that one moment is constituted by two uh, types of activities. So what he uh, called disintegrating and arising happens simultaneously, disintegrating of the present and arising of the future. Now, therefore, because there are two activities, they are not, uh, they solve the problem of cause and effect being simultaneous. Okay, so if, if, is one moment of time yep. followed by a next moment? No, uh, in the sense uh, that be because they are presenters, so one moment of time is replaced by another moment instantly, because one moment is... The, uh, whenever the second moment arises, the first moment has to disintegrate. Okay, but is it the case that between any two moments of time, there's another moment? I'm not sure if I follow your question. Well, look. So, no, do you mean that there are two moments of time that <laughs> stands like this? So, it's discrete. It's discrete. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Ah. You, you're talking about the Yagata or any well, I don't know what, what your question is referring to, but... Uh, uh, well, Majjhamaka, I took Sanat, we were talking about Majjhamaka, but I, I think it would apply just as much to... But nobody in the reason has enough math <laughs> to understand what it would be like yeah. for there to be a moment between any two moments. Uh -huh. And the reason I don't like to use the word discrete, because discrete seems to be, doesn't seem to be activity. I, mean, so I, was, I, was, I was using it in the technical sense. Yeah. Because it's discrete, if given one moment, yeah. there's an immediately next moment. That's mm. just mathematical discreteness, right? Maybe if discrete means only in that sense, probably. Because uh, remember, uh, Nagarjuna and Chandrakirti likes the use of uh, scale. When one end of the scale goes up, the other end of the scale comes down. That motion that's almost happens simultaneously. There is no, so it's a, uh, it's a movement, it's a motion, uh, it's activity rather than kind of any discrete entity. Okay, so in that case, yeah. Um, so what uh, Nagarjuna particularly does in Arya um, Shalistamba Sutra and his Tika, of course, he has a versus Elvis and Tika. This is where he actually explores this uh, concept in uh, relation to his account of uh, dependent origination, where he basically got the external dependent origination and internal dependent origi origination, and in order to explore that, he basically uses uh, four causal um, principles. Um, I think four out of sorry five causal uh, principles, and out of five, I think the four can be. I think they are interesting. So I, my attempt here is to see if by using those four principles, if Madhimika is able to answer human question, or see if it is Madhimika is able to basically give us account of the direct link between these two, uh, two consecutive um, conscious moments. So Madhimikas, like Chandrakit and Nagarjuna, argued that arising of the later conscious moment necessarily entails the disintegrating of the previous conscious moment 
and the disintegrating of the previous conscious moment necessarily entails the rising of the later conscious moment as an effect. The rising and disintegrating uh, causally condition each other and thus sustaining a successive chain of cause and effect uninterruptedly, which is very different from the uh, sorry, uh, Abhidhamma account of disintegration, where in Abhidhamma account of disintegration, they basically, um, disintegration is causally inert or causally impotent. It, it is not given any, uh, in fact, causal efficacy. But in this case, Chandragiddi thinks that disintegration, just as arising is causally effective, disintegration is also causally effective. If disintegration is not causally effective, then it won't be able to, um, we won't be able to have the next moment. Because after all, the, uh, the seed disintegration allows sprout to emerge. If seed does not disintegrate, then they won't be uh, sprout. Um, so the first principle um, that um, they discuss is the principle of non-interruption. The effect consciousness becomes a cause, and the cause consciousness becomes an effect. And this they call the principle of uh, non-interruption. The rising consciousness is causally effective as it causes its disintegration as one of the effects. So the disintegrating consciousness is causally effective as it causes its arising in the next moment. So in a sense, disintegrating consciousness and arising consciousness, which constitute one moment, almost like you got, in the case of Dignagant, um, Nagarjuna and Chandra, this uh, theory of causation, mental causation, one moment constitute almost sort of this kind of thing, rather than discrete beep, beep, uh, sort of um, fashion, because it has um, already inbuilt both disintegrating as well as arising. So Madhimika's context, these two seemingly contradictory causal activities complement each other, paving and opening up each other's causal productivity. As they, unity embodies causality constituting a single uh, conscious moment. Arising and disintegrating dependently arises from each other and dependently produce each other, like the ascending and the descending end of the two scales, mutually causing each other. The rising of immediately subsequent conscious moment causes the disintegrating of immediately preceding consciousness, and the disintegrating of present consciousness likewise causes the arising of next conscious moment. So in that sense, you can see, at least the way I see it, is uh, the Madhimika account, because they attribute causal efficacy to disintegrating consciousness, not only the arising, it has actually more advantage than Abhidhamma account of uh, uh, mental causation, which, of course, as uh, Mark points that out, it fails. So in the same way, a flame and burning of a wick are simultaneous. Um, Nagarjuna says, burning of a wick causes the flame, and the flame, of, uh, the flame causes the burning of wick, even though they are kind of, in a sense, uh, simultaneous. But the burning and the, um, and the flame um, basically features the other. In this way, both the rising consciousness and disintegrating consciousness are equally causally conditioned and are equally uh, causally efficient. By contrast, um, Sotandrika here, I'm specifically uh, thinking about Vasubandhu style of uh, Sotandrika. Um, not, of course, um, saying that this is Vasubandhu's final view, which is not, of course, but Vasubandhu being the spokesperson of Sotandrika in this case. Mental causation is only one-sided activity. By this mean, uh, this I mean, 
unlike Madhimika, Swatantrika attributes causal efficacy onto the arising consciousness and denies causal efficacy to the disintegrating consciousness. So in this context, what matters to mental causation is the arising consciousness, and, but not the disintegrating of consciousness. Arising consciousness and disintegrating consciousness have more or less like an uneasy truth in their existence, whether they, they're supposed, supposed to con constitute one moment, but then arising alone has causal efficacy, whereas disintegrating, first of all, it starts, it's supposed to be non-cause, and it doesn't have the causal efficacy to produce the next moment. So the Sotantrika account, however, does not offer, offer us satisfactory answer to the central question we raised earlier. How are the two ultimately real moments of consciousness bearing the intrinsic natures, necessary actors of cause and effect? Being intrinsic and uniquely particular, it makes no sense for a consciousness moment to dependently cease and goes out of existence instantly as soon as it comes into existence. So if it is the case that consciousness have their dharmas, namely that they, are, they have the intrinsic properties, then if they are intrinsic, then they should not, at least uh, one moment, the early moment, should not uh, dependently give rise to the second moment. If the second moment dependently arises from the first moment, then it says that they are, it doesn't have intrinsic properties. Just as we, um, so sometimes when I think about, for example, like Sautander account of um, mental causation, and specifically in this case, on the one hand, of course, Vasubandhu um, admits that on um, Sotandaka's, um, Sotandaka's philosophy, movement is not possible, causation is not possible. Um, on the other hand, the claim we make, at least, is what is causally efficacious. They are supposed to be dharmas. They are, dharmas are supposed to be causally efficacious. And that's, that's, that's why they are supposed to be ultimately real. But when I see if it, this actually, if it really works in the mental causation, I don't see them working. It almost seems to be saying that we can move forward constantly without leaving behind anything. Because what we, what we leave behind is destruction, disintegration. So if every step you put, uh, put forward necessarily for us, implies there is something that we leave behind. Um, <clears throat> so that, whereas Dignaga and Tarmakirti, and particularly, uh, oh, sorry, in this case, Vasubandhu seems to be saying that yes, living, uh, uh, basically moving forward is possible without necessarily depending on what we leave behind. So why does, um, why does Sotandaka deny the causal efficacy of disintegrating consciousness? Maybe because they, they because of the debate between Nyayikas and that they have, um, you know, have to take this, um, this kind of stance. But at least to my view, that actually uh, doesn't seem to make much coherent, um, uh, much sense. And not only that, of course, causation also runs into incoherence. So in my view, what is clear at this point is that Sotanga's principle of a dependent origination comes in direct conflict with his commitment to Swapawa. This is where actually I see where Sotandrika's commitment to dependent origination does not go all the way down. It actually stick, you know, kind of goes to the level of atoms, and then, and after that, the swabhava uh, kicks in, and so commitment to swabhava basically takes the pre uh, uh, precedence over the principle of dependent origination. Whereas, in the case of Madhimigas, the advantage is 
dependent origination goes all the way down. So emptiness, empty story goes all the way down, which actually helps uh, to build this causal account, even between a uh, link between the two immediate um, moments of consciousness. So that's the first principle. And the second principle, um, which, important, which is important for the Nag um, sorry, Nagarjuna Chandrakirti is the principle of uh, resemblance. Now, um, for Madhyamika, mental causation consists of successive conscious moments, rapidly following one after the other, where every later consciousness dependently arises from disintegrating of the previous conscious moment, as I said earlier, including other causes. So this way, mental capacity or disposition of the previous consciousness does not get terminated or interrupted. Um, the reason why this uh, is the case is because in spite of the change, the successive later moments are causally conditioned and influenced by the successive uh, preceding moments. So preceding moments are able to uh, influence the later moments, and they are able to do that because the later moments are empty of content or empty of in fact, later conscious moments become what they are because they are empty of intrinsic nature. So the, what they become is basically they take uh, the shape of what I mean, uh, the causes and conditions that come into play in order uh, to produce the existence. So hence, uh, there is a resemblance between successive conscious moments precisely because the later conscious moments are able to come into existence resembling the previous moments. Um, on Madhimika view, the resemblance principle offers us, in fact, uh, another dimension into the nature of consciousness, in fact, the structure of consciousness, in particular, the insight into the emptiness of consciousness to the extent that it strictly is causally dependent all the way down, thus empty of any intrinsic uh, unique particularity. Mental causation is a series of successive conscious events where the later consciousness events dependently originate from the previous uh, preceding ones. So that's where, again, I, I see at least, uh, you know, it is plausible to connect that Madhimagas might be able to advance a um, more plausible account to answer Hume's uh, question. This is because every consciousness comes into existence by the power of causes and conditions. The nature of consciousness is entirely uh, causally dependent. If you think about, of course, visual consciousness, for example, it depends on, um, it dependently arises and dependently ceases in relation to visual faculty, uh, visible object, mental consciousness, and likewise, if you, you apply these for our five other consciousness, the same applies. Now, if you take away the causes and conditions whose collective causal efficacy brings about its production, namely consciousness, then there simply is no consciousness. Consciousness becomes, arises, when the causes and conditions are there. If the causes and conditions are not there, there is simply no consciousness. Uh, whereas if the consciousness is intrinsic and supposed to have their own dharma, then um, this, such an account doesn't seem to fit. So in that sense, consciousness owes its very existence to causes and conditions, that it can, thus it can only depend on the originate. It cannot exist in any other way, either intrinsically or extrinsically. This is the proof for all consciousness in the causal chain. This is the proof mm. that all consciousness in the causal chain are empty, empty of intrinsic nature for, um, for Madhimikas. Therefore, dependent origination 
in that sense, underpins the very structure of mental causation, all the way down and all the way up to much more sophisticated um, cognitive processes. When I say all the way down, we are talking about particularly these two moments of consciousness, how they give rise to each other. And uh, my, my uh, view is that if you have Madhimika-styled ontology, which is much more flexible, then we might be able to at least explain the link between the two, whereas if we have more rigid uh, sort of um, Abhidhamika account of ontology, uh, then I think this explanation might be very difficult. So then the causal resemblance that exists between the former and the later consciousness gives us an insight into deeper necessary causal connection between the successive conscious events. Each consciousness is brought into existence by its own necessary causes and conditions, some of which are antecedent and others are present. Both antecedent causes and present conditions gives rise to present consciousness whereby the disintegrating of the uh, pre uh, previous consciousness becomes one of the necessary uh, conditions. So that's, um, that's, this is where one, uh, one thing that I I'm a little skeptical of um, one of uh, Marx's uh, other conclusion is that Vasubandhu being um, human about his causation, I'm not sure exactly how far we can take Vasubandhu and it listens to human work. The reason why, because the reason is because hum, um, just as uh, Nagarjuna and Chandakiti, but also Vasubandhu is committed to this understanding of First of all, to, uh, the difference between two types of causes, you've got primary causes and the other one is con um, uh, the conditions, you know, uh, sometimes they're called substantial uh, cause and the cooperating cause. But I think maybe um, appropriating cause and this uh, cooperating cause might be a better way to do it. But that, I mean, is consciousness, at least for, um, uh, even for Wazubandhu's um, styled uh, so Tandrika has to have a prior antecedent cause, and that has to be consciousness. Um, okay, um, so in the context of intrinsic and unique particular conscious moments, the idea that there is a necessary causal connection between those intrinsic consciousnesses seems to be logically incoherent. In fact, it seems downward contradiction to say uh, that causal connection between two intrinsic consciousness moments where the former is supposed to cause the later, in spite of the fact that both uh, the nature of both the former and the later consciousness moments are intrinsic and unique particular. If mental causation necessarily entails successive moments of intrinsic consciousness where the former moments necessarily cause the later conscious moments through the rising of the intrinsic consciousness and disintegrating of intrinsic consciousness, it clearly contradicts the claim that the nature of each consciousness is intrinsically real. So that's um, the second principle. And the third principle is the causal principle of non-transference. This again, uh, I think, offers interesting, uh, uh, at least possible uh, explanation why maybe Madhimaga might be a, uh, more, offers us more plausible account Although there is a clear causal resemblance between the preceding consciousness and the sub, uh, subsequent consciousness, at least on Madhimika's account, but there is no transference uh, between the preceding subsequent uh, between the uh, there is no sorry 
but there is no transference from the preceding to the subsequent consciousness. In fact, uh, Nagarjuna is explicitly uh, against such form of metaphysical transference. So therefore, they favor a principle of what they call non-transference. Um, by that, what they mean is there is a resemblance in so far as the later consciousness dependently arises from the seizing of the previous consciousness, amongst other set of conditions. Right? <clears throat> Yet no aspect whatsoever of the previous consciousness is transmigrated or transferred to the subsequent consciousness as effect. Now, there is, in fact, they say there is the only appearance of effect consciousness resembling the cause consciousness. And this resemblance occurs by virtue of non-deficiency of causes and conditions. So because there are enough causes and conditions working, and then your conscious second consciousness or subsequent consciousness arises from the first, first moment or the former, uh, former preceding uh, consciousness, although they are not identical. The example, uh, the metaphor that they sometimes use is like reflection, he says, reflection of a face seen in a well-polished mirror. The face does not get transferred into the mirror, nor does the mirror take upon uh, the face's space. Yet there is an appearance of face, but of course not any other face. The face only of the person who is standing next to the mirror. And then another example they use is when you have a moon, um, moon, uh, on a clear, a clear mm, moonlight, if you have a bucket full of water, moon can reflect this image instantly, even though it is millions of kilometers away. But the question is, has trans moon transferred into the bucket? Not the case. Has water gone up there? Not the case. But then when the causes and conditions come together, you have a reflection, but not any reflection, but a reflection of the particular moon that is up there. So in that case, you've got the resemblance of exactly the uh, prior uh, conditions that has been reflected in the subsequent moment because of this inter interrelationship, interdependence. Again, it is clear how, um, again, in this case, um, it is not clear uh, how uh, the former and the subsequent consciousness play out in Sotandaka's account without undermining the principle of uh, non-transference. For its causal uh, account entails two contradictory theses, namely, all consciousness are intrinsic and uniquely particular, and that the later consciousness assumes the character of antecedent ones that resemble each other. So if you, if, I mean, if uh, Abhidhamaka's account is say, well, the later consciousness resembles these, the early consciousness, that basically knocks out, at least uh, undermines the claim that later consciousness has to have their own swapava. Finally, the fourth principle, the principle of non-eternity. Um, Although successive consciousness events resemble each other closely, no consciousness are constitutionally identical, they claim. Consciousness as a cause is one event, and consciousness which arises from it as an effect, quite another. Even so, seed is one thing, and sprout from uh, which it arises, quite another. For this reason, Madhimaka claims mental causation operates on the principle of non-eternity. That means it has to change, and that's the only way it can actually um, uh, create the next moment. So in spite of uh, resemblance between two successive moments of consciousness, there is, no, there is enough room for the uh, uh, difference. Um, such that without seizing the previous conscious, uh, pre preceding consciousness, the later uh, consciousness does not come into existence even though it has other necessary conditions. So without 
without the previous consciousness being disintegrated, uh, then it is not possible for the second consciousness to come into being. In fact, um, so without seizing a seat, we know that sprout does not uh, emerge. Putting the point differently, the arising of consciousness, later consciousness moments necessarily requires the seizing of pre uh, uh, preceding consciousness, conditioned by the seizing uh, consciousness. Since it is the seizing uh, previous consciousness which amongst the other conditions bring forth the existence of subsequent consciousness. And it is clear that no ex uh, external mental activity or entity or substance is required in, the, in this causation. So, Again, um, if we look at the Swapava ontology and see whether the non-eternity uh, non principle can be applied, I think it's sometimes difficult. Because if you say that Swapava is a um, um, first the early um, preceding uh, conscious moment are constituted by swabhavas, later conscious moment is preceded by have their own swabhavas, then um, how is this transference, non-transference principle, or even how is non-eternity principle um, operate in this case? If you either you have to relinquish your ontology, namely you have to relinquish your swabhava. Uh, if you do that, then you have to basically relinquish uh, your ontology. But on the other hand, if you don't do that, then basically pr problem of eternity uh, occurs for uh, the um, Abhidhamma account. So in conclusion, I believe that four causal principles, non-interruption, resemblance, causal, uh, non-transference, and non-eternity, offers probably more plausible criteria of evaluating whether or not causal account satisfied the requirement of necessary relation between the previous and the later conscious moment. And in my view, Madhimika's flexible ontology in contrast to Sotanagar's more rigid uh, ontological framework, offers a more compelling case for the possibility of such um, possibility of such a relation in such a way that you got a um, causal continuum, and that causal continuum can be supported with the nexus between the preceding and the subsequent uh, consciousness, uh, given the fact that the subsequent consciousness. Uh, given that it is empty of an, an, an intrinsic uh, nature, is able to arise uh, when, the, you know, uh, when the causes and conditions are, are satisfied, and one of which is, of course, preceding consciousness. That's it. Thank you. <laughs>